Welcome to the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk about retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. Here's your host, Megan Kendrick. So Spa Retailer is celebrating our 10th anniversary this year. Alice and Blair, the original owners of Olympic Hot Tub, were on the very first cover of the magazine. They have since retired and sold the business to Don Ryling, who is now on the cover of our 2017 show issue. Uh, That's sort of an aside. What we really want to talk to Don about today is the process of purchasing the business as part of our sort of succession planning podcast series. So welcome, Don. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So like I mentioned, Olympic was in the magazine when we started 10 years ago, but the company has been around obviously much longer than that. Can you give us a little bit of the background of Olympic Hot Tub? Sure. Um, well, we just uh, celebrated our 40th anniversary last month in August. Um, that was the first month that Alice and Blair were in business officially. I think they actually incorporated like three or four months before that, but um, August has been the official anniversary month for years and years and years. And um they built a little hot tub company that's turned into one of the best hot tub dealers in the country, thankfully for me. So um, they, they did an amazing job and they're brilliant people. So I'm just trying to live live their legacy and carry it forward. What did you do before you started working at Olympic? How long had you been there before you bought the company too? I was there 21 years when I purchased the company. So this is my 22nd year with Olympic right now. Um, before that, I'd had a long retail career and I had worked for a decent amount of time for Nordstrom. Um, I worked there for about eight years and I worked for them in, um, Washington state. And I also worked for them in Illinois. I actually moved out to Chicago. Well, this is a long time ago, back in 1991 to help them open their first store in the Midwest, which was, feels like it's eons ago now. Um, and I had a brief stint working for the Disney stores as well. And, um, there's also another retailer that's long gone here in the Northwest that I worked for for a decent amount of time called J. Jacobs, which was kind of a fashion forward retail clothier for, uh, juniors, kind of along the lines of like a Zoomies or a little bit more fashion forward Banana Republic, I guess. Um, okay. So a long retail career before I came to Olympic. So what got you um what got you into the hot tub business and started at at Olympic? Well, I think if you talk to most people, if they didn't grow up in the business, they get into the business by accident. <laughs> yes. uh, nobody wakes up, hey, I'm gonna go work for a hot tub company. At least I don't find that to be my experience in the industry and the people that I've talked to over the years. Um what happened with me is that uh, I had just finished up my career at Nordstrom. I'd been there for eight years, and I left there as uh, the customer service manager for one of their mainline stores here in Seattle. And I was just at the point where I was kind of burned out in being in charge of a lot of stuff. Um, so I decided to take just a sales job at Banana Republic. And, um, actually at the time, what they were trying to do at Banana Republic was create these roles for certain salespeople that had the right skill set to be kind of like clientele specialists. So they were trying to create their own personal shoppers at Banana Republic, like they'd had it for years at Nordstrom. And they hired me to do that at their new store that they were opening up here in Belton Square. So I was doing that. Um, I wanted to work part time. 
I didn't want a lot of responsibility. I just kind of wanted to check out a little bit and bide my time until I figured out what I wanted to do next. I had a friend in town who had his own little business. He still has it to this day. It's called Your Man Friday. And what his company does is tax preparation and kind of small odd jobs for small businesses and does bill pay for them and can do payroll for them. And um, he was a member of an organization called the GSBA, which is the Greater Seattle Business Association, which is a chamber organization designed to uh, be a membership organization for gay and lesbian owned businesses, but also gay and friendly, gay and lesbian friendly businesses. And Olympic Hot Tub was a member of GSBA way back then. So Alice had called him and said, hey, you know, I need somebody that can work for me in my offices with me a few days a week, help me work on some marketing stuff, help me create some forms and just get some operational things done for me. Is that something you can do? And he said, well, that's not really in our skill set. He said, however, I do have a friend that's not really doing a whole terrible lot right now. And this might actually be right up his alley. So he called me and told me about it. And I called Alice and sat down with her and Blair and chatted a little bit. And that's how I started in the business. I actually started in the corporate offices, working just a couple days a week on the side, in addition to my time working at Banana Republic, and just kind of interacted with Alice and Blair on a periodic basis every week for about three months before I officially became a salesperson at the company. So you're right. I, um, you know, I talk to a lot of retailers and, and nobody gets into the hot tub business on purpose. It is, it is by accident, but once you're in, it's like it's in your blood and you, and you never leave. And clearly that was also the, the case for you. Once you started working at Olympic, it, you just stayed. <laughs> Well, you know, the thing that was really great for me is that when I ended up working in the offices with them, it gave me a chance to actually see what the business was like without having to rely on it for my livelihood. And it also got a chance, it gave me a chance to sit and watch Blair and Alice and how they ran the business. And what I came to find out was that it was very, the way they ran their business was very Nordstrom-esque. It was a small company. Um, they were taking care of their customers. They were really very much a specialty retailer because they didn't have pools and patio furniture and barbecues and wood stoves and all these other things that a lot of hot tub companies had. They were specifically focused on hot tubs and health and wellness. And they were really interested in just making sure they were doing the right thing for people. And that really appealed to me. So when they had an opening in the sales floor in Seattle, which it's very funny, they had this guy that was there who gave notice and Alice was distraught. She thought, you know, I mean, nothing has changed over the years. It's still hard to find good salespeople today, just like it was back then. Sure. And I was sitting downstairs with her and her other two salespeople one day and they were having lunch and they were trying to figure out what they were going to do. And I said, well, you know, what about me? And Alice is like, well, we were afraid to ask you. We thought you were done with retail. And I said, well, look, I've never actually, in all the time I worked at Nordstrom, I was not in commission. I was not in the sales role. I was on the support side of the business. And I said, I've never worked in commission. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know if I'll like it. I don't know if I'll be successful, but at least you know me. You know, I'm a known commodity and you know we get along well. And what's the harm? So that's how I ended up getting that sales job. So you started off in the office, then you moved into the sales full time. And then 
uh, how how did your role evolve from there um, to to where you were before you purchased the company? Well, um, I think a lot of people that are in leadership roles or that are in management roles will probably identify with this. So my thought process was, I don't want any responsibility. I just want to sell. I want to have fun. I don't want to have to be in charge of anything. And you do that for a certain amount of time. And, you know, when you don't have a lot of obstacles or barriers in your way to be successful and you become successful at what you're doing. Unfortunately for me, it, I, I, I did end up being a good hot tub salesperson. It was something that I, that I kind of really took to. So it didn't take me long to be successful in the role. <clears throat> and after a couple of years, I started getting bored. <laughs> and I thought, you know, and, it, and anybody that's been in retail for any length of time or anybody that might be in retail right now and thinks that they want to do this, you might want to think about this is it's very easy to get distracted. It's very easy to think, oh, the grass is always greener. There's going to be somewhere else I can work that'll be better. There's something newer and shinier somewhere along the way. And you don't actually take the time to sit in the job that you're in, develop your skills, and maybe find out where it can lead you. And I had always done that in the past, which is what a lot of people do in retail. And when I got to that point of being a little bit bored here at Olympic, I thought, well, maybe I should look at something else. And ironically, right at the time that I was doing this, or having this thought process, Disney called me back. And they asked me to interview for a role to be the retail merchandise manager for the national touring company, Beauty and the Beast. And of course, that was very appealing and very shiny and very new and very different from what I was doing right that minute. Sure. And... I, I, I seriously thought about it. And then I thought, you know what? This is what I do all the time. Why don't I figure out if there's something that I can do here that would challenge me, make me feel happy and give me some new direction. So I just went to Allison Blair and said, look, I'm getting a little bored. Um, I can definitely do more than just sell. And why don't you put me in charge of the managing the accessories and buying accessories for the company? Because at that time, there weren't a lot of accessories that were actually being sold. It, it seemed like a lot of things like cover lifters and other things that, that you could add to your hot tub were begin, being given away by the salespeople, partially as an apology for how much they were paying for a hot tub, which I thought was stupid. Because I came from a retail background where you sold everything. So I thought, we're going to figure out how to actually sell these products and create value out of them and carry products that are appealing and maybe a little bit unique from the other hot tub companies in town. And... They had never really had anybody up till then approach them and say, why don't you let me do this? So they, they said, okay. So at that point, I became the accessories manager for the company and it just continued to evolve from there. I think it was about three years later where up until that time, Alice had been managing the Seattle showroom and she'd be one of the first people that would tell you that she was brilliant at a lot of things in her life. And I would 100% agree with that. But being a manager of people wasn't exactly her. It wasn't her passion. Unfortunately, I had had enough management experience behind me that it, it wasn't difficult for me to do it. So they asked me to manage the Seattle showroom. They'd never had a manager to that point. And when it came time to grow the business, you know, about, um, I don't know, this was about eight years later when we finally decided to open up the Issaquah location. That was another point where I thought, I've got to do something to expand my responsibilities here and give myself some new challenge. And I approached them and said, look, 
I will help you open Issaquah, but I would like to become the sales manager for the company at that point. And the arrangement was, or the agreement was, that if I went to Issaquah and became a manager there, opened the store, and got it up and running, then I could become the sales manager. So it was kind of a give-and-take thing, reciprocity. And um, that's when I became the sales manager of the company. Um, so it, it keeps evolving until the point where we got to a couple of years ago where we started talking to me about actually purchasing the business from them. Well, and that was what I was going to ask you about next is, is how did you know that you, one, wanted to buy the business and, and two, that that was something that they were looking for and, and willing to talk to you about? The irony of the whole history of my time at Olympic is that when Allison Blair took me out to dinner for my five-year anniversary with the company, they asked me if I was interested in buying the business. Really? People that know Allison Blair know that they do things judiciously and slowly, <laughs> but that may have been the slowest thing they ever did in their lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it certainly took the patience of Job on my part to stay in the mix. And um, when we had that conversation initially, you know, I was so, I was still what I considered relatively, relatively young. You know, it was something that was definitely a, a shiny ornament at that point. It was something that was very attractive and it was a nice idea, but of course, I had no concept of how to go about figuring out how to buy a business. Um, but we kept it on the back burner all this time. And I think that's one of the reasons why my career progression happened at Olympic the way it did, because as opportunity presented itself and I wanted to learn more about the business, they in turn gave me that opportunity to do it. So when we got to the point where we were a couple of years ago, in essence, I was almost running the entire business operation. And there wasn't a lot of role responsibility that they still had that I was going to have to assume that I wasn't familiar with at that point. So we had gotten to the point where my life cycle with the company had gotten me into the, into the situation where most of the company looked at me as somebody that was the second in command. And if they went away for a few weeks on vacation, it was okay. Nothing dramatic happened. In a lot of cases we made just as much money when they were gone or more. Um, and so it was a really good situation for me to be in, but we talked about this for 16 years of my existence in the company with them, um, after five years. So, so had you, had you pictured yourself owning a business? Was that something that you had ever, um, wanted to do or, or dreamed about before they said, Hey, are you interested in this? Yeah. Um, I had thought about owning a, a number of types of businesses over the years. I thought about owning my own bookshop. I thought about owning my own restaurant. I thought about trying to combine the two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there were a friend of mine who's in the industry now. And um, actually I was the person that kind of, again, it's nobody comes to this industry on their own. You know, um, one of my good friends is the um, owner of Oregon Hot Tub, Sue Rogers, who I've known for over 30 years. And we've worked together in different careers over time. Um, I had actually talked to her and coming to work for Olympic Hot Tub before she bought Oregon Hot Tub. And during the course of our friendship over the years, we both talked about buying and owning businesses. And like way back in the 80s, we were talking about owning frozen yogurt shops. So, I mean, we'd always talked about owning our own businesses for a long, long time. 
it's kind of fun that we're both in the same industry now. We both own businesses that are in essence right next door to each other for the same dealership or same manufacturer. So, um, yeah, I thought about it for sure. Um, and it was interesting. I, I guess the thing that was interesting about Olympic is that it was refreshing for the people that were running the business and owned the business and started the business to actually approach me and say, what do you think about being the owner? And I'd never had anybody do that up till that point. So that was kind of the, the nice change of pace, I guess, that really appealed to me and probably kept me engaged in the idea of actually owning a hot tub. So, you know, obviously, since it took a really long time to go from that initial conversation to you actually buying the business, it sounds like, um, you know, there's just a lot of preparation as far as your skill set and getting comfortable with the business and learning about the business to running the business that um, that you had a chance to do that maybe a lot of other people in the industry wouldn't. Um, but how about financially? I mean, did that give you time to kind of figure out, okay, when the time comes, how am I actually going to be able to do this? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an honest answer. <laughs> I mean, I wonder how many people that have bought hot tub dealerships have ever really been ready financially to do it. I don't think anybody has, um, unless I'm like just dumb as a box of rocks and I don't know anything. But, um, you know, I, I think that I, I, you know, it's interesting because when we got to the point of actually working out the mechanics of this, I didn't have tons of money laying around and I definitely drained every penny out of my 401k. And I don't think that these are things that are unique to me. I think that a lot of people that decide to do something like this probably go through similar circumstances, borrow money from friends that they repay. I got creative and actually did a little bit of marketing consulting work for one of my friends so I could get some money from them that I just did some work for them over a year to repay them because I didn't want to owe people money at the end of the day if I could mm -hmm. manage it. I wanted to be able to say that I was just, if I was going to owe anybody money, it was going to be Allison Blair um, and a bank. So you know, that's kind of the, the track that I took. And, um, you know, it, it, it took some time to work it out and it was a little bit difficult, but would I say I had a plan? No. <laughs> and was I ready? No. I don't know if anybody really is ready when they finally decide to do it. I might be wrong. I think a lot of times the opportunity presents itself sooner than the vehicle for you to actually pay for it does. Right. This is the same story that I hear from other people who have, have bought hot tub businesses. None of them, at least that I have spoken to, are independ independently wealthy and can just put down the cash and, and buy a business. It, it's usually really hard and uncomfortable and they have to dig into places that they don't necessarily want to to make it, to make it happen. When and how did ownership officially, officially change hands then? August 1st of 2016. So it's been a little over a year. I had a big retirement party for them in July, the end of July, which was really fun and nice. It took us about a year and a half to actually work through all the mechanics of getting the purchase to happen. So there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and uh, a lot of setbacks and a lot of crazy things that happened. Working with banks and the SBA and anybody that's done it probably can tell you that it's a very, I found it to be a very odd experience um, and nothing was predictable. In the end, we got it worked out and August 1st was the day. So it's 
it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that the back end stuff that was unpredictable and a little frustrating because for other people that I've talked to who've also gone through this process, that's sort of what I hear from them. And each deal is so different. It's hard to say, do this or, or do that. But I mean, are there things that you would recommend people who are in the position that you were should, should think about or look at when they start this process out that would help them maybe make it a little smoother? Well, um, you know, I mean, it's funny because I thought that we had a lot of stuff in line that would definitely make things easier, and it just didn't turn out to make it any easier. At the end of the day, I think that the most difficult thing is making, I think you have to pick the right bank, number one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And in my experience, I have found that some of the other people that I know that have purchased hot tub companies have been a lot more successful in getting something done with a smaller regional bank versus a larger bank. I personally think that it's very difficult for some of the larger banks that are around to understand the business model that we have and believe that you can really make money at it. And it doesn't matter how much data you give them. I mean, we provided 10 years of financials for our business to the bank. We showed them how we survived the economic downturn. We had, I mean, Blair is brilliant in terms of being an analytical numbers financial guy. And he had data until the cows came home that we could provide. And at the end of the day, it just felt that they just didn't understand our business very well. We had to go back to the drawing board at one point and just kind of recraft a, a, an arrangement that would work out for all of us and not really rely on the bank or the SBA as much as we had intended to. It was really an interesting experience. And the odd thing about it was getting to the point where you're almost ready to sign papers and then having things change. And that happened a couple of times. And maybe that does with a lot of small business purchases. I, I'm not sure because obviously this is the only one they've done. And as far as I'm concerned, it's the only one I will do. So, um, Yeah. Did you end up going to a smaller bank then, a regional bank? Is that where you ended up? I don't want to give away all the de- the de- <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> But I will say that Allison Blair had a much bigger investment in the process and in the transaction than we originally intended. To their credit, they they did that and um, made it something that was palatable for all of us. And we all knew that the timing was right. So they were really dedicated in making it happen. And I remember when we were having tr- we were having struggles with this. And I, I'd already planned this, you know, retirement party and I'd invited people from Hot Spring to come up and friends of them from around the country and former employees from over the last 20 years. I mean, I had this big thing happening and we were really not quite sure if the deal was going to close on time. Oh, no. And I said, Blair, what, what am I going to, what are we going to do? And he said, we're going to figure it out. And I go, <laughs> you know, and it was so funny to me because I was so used to in our relationship, Blair being the cautious, the conservative, the judicious, the analytical guy that wanted to make sure everything was in, in line before anything got committed to. And I was always the one that was said, we're going to do it now. We're going to figure it out. We'll, you know, we'll roll with the punches. And it was very riveting to have our roles reverse at that point. <laughs> and for him to say, we're going to figure it out. We're going to move ahead. We're not canceling the party. And I was going, well, what are we going to do? And we don't have this figured out. He's like, we're going to figure it out. And and he did, you know, which I knew he would because I have a lot of confidence in both of them. But uh, And we had a business analyst that was involved in helping us strategize and, and craft the transaction. He was 
incredibly instrumental in this entire thing. And he kept us on a steady path and he provided the alternatives and we worked it out. But, um, it got a little, it got a little uncomfortable for me a number of times, which was interesting because most of the time, if somebody's uncomfortable, it wasn't me. I was the one that was like the bull in the china shop going, let's go. <laughs> so it was a little, it was fascinating that, that whole experience. Can you imagine going through that process with anybody other than Alice and Blair and people you've had, you know, a long time good relationship with? No, uh, you know, I mean, I think that that's the other thing that was so helpful in the timing and when we actually finally decided to try to work this out because we knew each other so well. And we'd worked together for so many years so well. And we, you know, ultimately, um, I don't want to get emotional. I probably will. But I just think that we both had so much respect for each other and respect for each other as human beings and as friends, in addition to being business associates. And I think that's what made all the difference in the world. They were both so dedicated to making it work for me. And I was dedicated to making it work so they got what they should for a business that they don't for 39 years, rightly so. You know, they've been so successful and I wanted them to enjoy the benefit of their labor for so many years. So um, I think that the fact that it was the three of us, if it had been different, it probably would have been more difficult or it wouldn't have worked out the same way. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of admiration for them and respect for them working out with me. Do you still communicate with them on a regular basis? I mean, have you tried to kind of stay out of each other's business a little bit while you have figured out what it's like to, to be the owner? Or do you call them with questions? What's that relationship look like now? You know, initially, it was it was harder for Blair, I think, to disengage. And anybody that knows him would have understood that, including me. Um, so I didn't, you know, a lot of people, I think, get impatient with former owners and want to try to figure out how to squeeze them out or push them out. I needed to let that happen organically for him. You know, as long as I was able to make the business decisions that I needed to make without him feeling like he could insert himself, it was okay. And he really didn't get himself into that position with me, which was also very, you know, gratifying. There were a few months at the beginning, you know, like probably with anybody else that transitions a business from somebody that's owned it for 39 years. I mean, it's been their lifespan. So you can't expect them to divorce themselves from it overnight. Now I talk to them periodically. I email them periodically. I just got a text from Alice the other day because they went on a trip to Wyoming to watch the eclipse with some friends and had an amazing time. And so, yeah, I do interact with them occasionally. It's not as much anymore as we used to, obviously. They get updates every month from our business analysts and how the business is doing and they know things are good and they're feeling good about the decision. I think. When you took over the business officially, I mean, were there just a backlog of things that you were excited and wanted to do uh, now that you were the new owner that you wanted to do forever? I mean, were you just ready to go? Um, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, at first I had to, uh, you know, just like dig in and work on the business itself for a little while and kind of get into the situation where the entire sales organization and the rest of the employees that I had understood that things were going to be status quo. There wasn't going to be a lot of changes made. I mean, we had such a great business. There's no reason to make a lot of changes. And 
I'd been in a key role for so many years with the company that nobody wasn't used to me making business decisions anyway. So for the first few months, you know, I wanted to just kind of dig in, work in the business, keep things going and make sure we were making money because now I'm debt rich. But uh, once I got through that, um, I sat down with a couple of longtime employees who are now my key um, leadership team members with me, Rob, who's my service and operations manager, and Patty, who's my sales manager. And we had a long-range planning meeting last October and talked about some key things that we thought we needed to do right away that were things that probably should have been done in the last several years. But, you know, the reality is when you get to the point where Blair and Alice were, things were great. We were making a lot of money. The business was solid. And there wasn't really a, a compelling need for them to do a lot more work or do a lot more spending of money to put back into a business that they knew they were going to sell. And I totally got that. But when I assumed the position of ownership, there were some things that we all knew we needed to do that would definitely help put us in a position to be in a much stronger business standpoint, I guess, so we could continue to grow and, um, you know, be the hot tub company that we've been for the last 39 years. Sure. One of those things, which was the most daunting, was getting a new accounting software program. That's the first thing we decided to do, which was not anybody, not anything I wish on anybody. <laughs> not anybody that's never done it before like we had, because I was like dumb as a box of rocks in this. Uh, but um, we took the three months and worked on a migration plan to move to a new accounting software, which we did the first of the year. Once we got everybody in the company over that, because that also brought us into real-time inventory, tracking, having a POS system in all of our showrooms, which we never had before, having service techs out on mobile devices, doing invoicing and orders. So there was a lot of stuff that we were doing that we'd never done before. And we were just coming into the 21st century, um, but we hadn't been there yet. So it took us some time to do that. Yeah. The other massive daunting thing that we needed to do was move our Seattle flagship store in our corporate offices because where we were current at the current time, the neighborhood had just exploded in growth. We'd lost our customer parking. There was so much construction around us. It was just getting more and more difficult to get to the store. It was just terrible. So we knew we had to do that. We could spend an, 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 another entire interview and podcast on trying to move a flagship store in a metro area and dealing with permits and the nightmares in a city that's in a construction boom like Seattle is, but that's, I won't go into that right now. But it took me seven months to get through the permitting process in our city before I could finally move the store. And it was not cheap. <laughs> so um, when we finally moved it, it was a big momentous day. And it was a difficult move because we'd been in the previous location for 23 years. So there was a lot of junk <laughs> to throw away. And there was a lot of moving to do, and um, we got through that, and we're in a stunning new location, and it's really beautiful, and the business has been very vibrant, um, so I'm really grateful that it was the right decision. And then the other thing that we needed to do, which we're in the midst of getting ready to do right now, is move our warehouse, which we kind of outgrown about three or four years ago. We had kind of limped along there with some bonus space in the same complex we were in for a little while until it got leased last year. But we are, we're just filled to the gills at our warehouse and it's really impacting, number one, our ability to do business for our existing customers. 
But number two, our ability to actually be in a position where we could ever grow our business and add any locations and maybe think about another product line someday. We're not in a position we could do that right now with our current infrastructure. So we're moving our warehouse that's been in the same place for 23 years next week. (laughs) And that's our last big project for the year. And I think once we get through it, we're all going to breathe a sigh of relief. It sounds like... um... You know, in your first year of ownership, you've gone through some of the most painful things and frustrating things you could have for any business. So you've kind of tackled some of the worst stuff all at once, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, some of it was by circumstance and some of it was out of necessity. You know, I mean, we just had to do And I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to next year when we can look at what we do at this next long range planning meeting next month and actually think about what we want to do or what we could do instead of what we have to do. You know, it puts you in a real different perspective in terms of how you look at things optimistically, energetically. But the other thing that was nice about going through what we did this last year is that we realized that we actually have the capacity and the energy and the competence now to do these big things. Because, you know, when we started out, we thought, EGATS, how are we going to change this accounting system? How are we going to move this store? I mean, they both, they, they seem like insurmountable things, huge, huge things to do. And now that we've done it, we've realized, hey, you know what? We can do this. This is okay. And we can do this and still be solvent. We haven't gone into debt. And, you know, we're not, we're not a bunch of ding-dongs. So let's, let's go ahead and see what we can do next, which is kind of liberating. Yeah, that's got to be really exciting to know that you can take on big projects and still and still do well and and still make money. Um, and it sounds like you've even had broken some sales records this year. Is that correct? We have had some good accomplishments on the sales front, and um, we've had some great revenue months. And if things stay on track, we're going to probably do more revenue this year than the company's ever done in its history. We had a month in June where we had a million dollar revenue month, which we haven't had in 10 years. So that was exciting to see. And uh, we came very close to that again in August. So, you know, we're, we're really having some good, I, I should be knocking on wood because I don't want the honeymoon to end. But, you know, it's, it's, it's credit to the people that work for me too. I mean, I have a great team and we would not be where we are without all of these folks being the cogs in the wheel that they are and stepping up to the plate and being dedicated to our success too. So, the, the thing that's nice for me is that everybody that works for me wants to continue the legacy that Allison Blair created as much as I do. And they have a lot of passion for what we do and pride. So, Yeah, I feel like we had, didn't really uh, touch on it yet, but it's certainly not lost on me that, I mean, Olympic Hot Tub is sort of a historic business in this industry and has quite a legacy of success. It's kind of the company that people looked at as, you know, what represented a, a good hot tub business. Um, I had someone just today tell me that they thought of Alice as the mayor of the hot tub industry. And so, um, and I've heard things like that over the years. I mean, they, you know, Alice and, and Blair too were sort of the face of this industry in so many ways. And I mean, what is it kind of like to you to, to sort of take that on and, and carry on that legacy for them? No pressure. You know, it's a big responsibility. You know, truthfully. And I mean, it's one that I knew that I was getting into. I mean, I'd I'd worked with them all these years and I knew what the reputation was in the industry. And I knew certainly what the reputation was with Hotspin Spas. I I mean, I don't know if everybody knows this, but uh, last year, Watkins Wellness, you know, the parent company for Hot Spring Spas, 
uh, renamed their marketing ward the Alice Cunningham Marketing Ward because right, yeah, she's known for being such an incredible marketer in the industry. And I mean, she's just so brilliant in so many ways. You know, I mean, our, our company had its own website in 1995, the year I started with the company. And that was the year before Hot Spring even had their own website. That was when people were still trying to figure out what the heck to do on the internet. Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, she was so amazing. And the number of blogs she wrote, ridiculous. So, you know, there's there's just so much to live up to and a lot to build on, which is the other thing that's really fortunate for me is that they laid this unbelievable foundation for me and gave me something to really build on and to continue to grow and um, hopefully try. I'm not going to say that I can do it, but try to live up to their reputation and their legacy and try to fill their shoes a little bit. But uh, there's there's a lot of faith that they put in me and there's a lot of faith that's been put in me by the manufacturers that we carry their products. And there's been a lot of faith put in me by the employees that still work for me. So there, there are a lot of different pressures, I guess, and a lot of different expectations to fulfill on a lot of different levels with a lot of different people. I'm just going to do what I can. I'm, I'm a human being. I'm going to make mistakes like anybody else would. I'm not going to profess to be the new czar of the hot tub industry. <laughs> um, but I'm going to do my best to uphold their, their ideals and their um, beliefs and their legacy and um, make Olympic hot tub a beacon still in the hot tub industry. So do you have any closing words of, of encouragement to other people out there in the industry or, or anything that we didn't touch on that you think is an important part of, of your story and the story of Olympic Hot Tub? I want to tell this story about when I was going through the purchase process, which I've told to a number of friends of mine. And I've told to some people at Hot Spring. And this is one of those things where you feel like you know that you're on the right path when something like this happens. So when we were dealing with this large bank that I was talking about, which didn't end up being part of my whole mix of the purchase, but I was dealing with this one individual who was probably in his mid-30s. And I went down to meet with him at the bank one day, and I was going into a meeting with his supervisor, who was an ultra-conservative banker, the traditional one that you would expect to meet at some point along the way, I guess, where you had to bear your soul show them your entire financial past, look at your credit, go, yes, I did something terrible 10 years ago. I, you know, I'm a human being, you know, that kind of stuff. Lay everything out on the table and just let them all, let them know everything. So he comes down to meet me and he says, I have to tell you this story. He said, I just got back a couple nights ago from having dinner with my fiance's parents and they just got back from Hawaii. They'd been there for a couple of weeks. I was in the kitchen with her mother. And I said, well, how, how did you like Hawaii? She said, Rick, we love going to Hawaii. We go there every year. We love the place we stay in. It's such a great place to be. But she said, I couldn't wait to get back home and get my hot tub. And he said, really? So from a confidentiality standpoint, he couldn't say anything about what he was working on with me. But he said, well, tell me more. And she said, well, I, I have this tub and I love it. And he said, well, what kind is it? He said, it's a hot spring spa that I bought from Olympic Hot Tub. He said, really? She said, yes. He said, Rick, I will tell you something. If you're going to buy a hot tub, you need to go down to downtown Seattle and you need to talk to Don Ryland. 
He is the person who sold me my first hot tub. He sold me this hot tub. I wouldn't buy from anybody else. Well, of course, by then, I mean, if you've seen my pictures, you understand that I have basically no hair now. But the little bit of hair that I had left was standing up on my neck. And I said, Rick, who is this person? He said, her name is Julie Stinson. I said, you are kidding me. Do you know she is the very first person I sold a hot tub to at Olympic Hot Tub in August of 1995? No way. What are the freaking odds? I mean, I, you can't make it up. <laughs> I mean, in, in our history with Alice and Blair, Alice would call this psychic spas when that's something that happens. So, of course, I'm just blown away. And she bought, and, and, a, and naturally, you know, I mean, people that know me know that my memory is pretty uncanny, too. And that's something else that Alice and I share uh, in common. But I remember that she bought a 1995 Tiger River Menorah hot tub for me that was teal in color. And I'm telling you, uh, like, how do you know this? <laughs> no, I'm, like, I'm telling you, that's the deal. She got married seven years later, and she came back and bought a sovereign. And that's the tub that she still has to this very day. He was blown away that I remembered all of that. I was blown away that that's the person that he could possibly know that connected me to him. I mean, what are the odds of that? That's amazing. You know, we went back upstairs and had this story. I mean, had this meeting with this conservative banker guy. And then we proceed to tell him this story. And I just sat there and looked at him. And I said, if that doesn't tell you I shouldn't be doing this, I don't know what does, Buster. That's a sign. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get any it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> you cannot make that stuff up. So um but it's a it's a great story and it it's really kind of neat that it's part of that whole experience buying the business because at the end of the day, something from the very beginning of being on the sales floor was part of the purchase. I, I just it blows me away. Yeah, what a great reminder of why you why you do this to begin with and why you're going through all of that that pain and discomfort. <laughs> So I guess if I had anything to share, I would say that when you buy a business, don't lose sight of the fact that at the very end of the day, it's still about the people that you meet along the way and making sure that you're taking care of the people that you meet. Thank you so much for doing this. It's it's so great to hear the story. You know, we're excited to to have Olympic back in the magazine to kind of celebrate our 10-year anniversary and the celebration of the ownership transition of, of your store. So thank you for your time and, and sharing this. And hopefully we can have you back on on the podcast at a later date. It sounds like you've got a lot of interesting things going on that would be worthy of going into more detail on. I welcome the opportunity. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, Don. You've been listening to the Spa Retailer Podcast. You can download previous episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or at sparetailer.com slash podcast. Be sure to download the Spa Retailer app where you can also listen to the podcast and get access to all the magazine articles as well as exclusive content.